So I'm out for a walk. My wife and I walk quite a bit. I don't know if it's because we're aging. No idea. I find I walk more than I run. And I used to run a fair amount. I'm out for a walk. And I want you to picture this if you know downtown London. I'm on Colburn. And I'm at Dundas, so I'm, I'm just coming down the street, and the bike lane is right there. You know, I'm, Nobody was going by me. In fact, one guy was actually walking in the guarded bike lane, but he was going the other direction. I No idea. The sidewalk was right there. I, I would have moved over. I don't bite. I don't think. But I'm walking along the sidewalk, I'm going south, so I go across King, and then I keep going, and I keep going, and I'm coming up toward the tracks. And as I look down, there is a big yellow diamond on the sidewalk, and it's, it's kind of stuck there. It's painted there. And it says, look, listen, live, dot C-A, or because we have the worst language in the world, English takes the cake, worst language ever. It could also, it could also say, look, listen, live, dot C-A. Doesn't really say which. If you look closely, yeah, I'm pretty sure above the look, it's a yellow and black sign. Um, there's a train. And I'm, I'm th- I think that's what it is. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the handle of a guitar. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It's one or the other. It's either a train or it's because you can kind of see the frets on the on the guitar where you tighten the strings, right? It wouldn't be frets. What are the what's the thing where you tighten the string on a guitar? That's what it would be. And that's what is down in front of me. And I'm I'm looking at it, and I look up and I realize, well, the tracks are right there. This this obviously is something that is trying to help me to keep from dying. The tracks are there. We know that people cross into the tracks at times, and we know that nasty consequences do occur. We've seen many tragedies. So I looked down at this, and I thought, this is fine. This this is a fine thing. This is a good attempt. I would later Google looklistenlive.ca. Actually, I just punched in the old address. And I found that, yeah, it's a railway safety thing. It's put on by an organization that is bent on making our world a safer place. That's fine. But as I look down on this, I'm thinking, this this needs to be better. It needs to be different. Maybe better is too harsh a word. This needs to be different. We live in 2019. We are bombarded by all kinds of messaging all the time. You cannot get away from it. In fact, as I was walking along, I kind of retraced my steps a little bit, and there was an advertisement for a law firm. There was a company name that had a sign. There was another company name that had a sign. So even just in that stretch where there really isn't a lot of stuff, because it's it's the railway tracks that run through the middle of the city that you know some people would like to get rid of, that we can't. They're there. But the idea that this says, look, listen, live.ca, it's not enough for me. I don't think this is doing the job that it could do. I think you need to be more harsh in this. This this just looks like something, hey, you know, we're advertising on sidewalks now. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what else I'm going to see. Can I find a burger joint if I walk another 20 feet? Is that what's going to be down there? That's what this looks like to me. This does not look like a, hey, you're coming up to a railway crossing. So I threw it up on Twitter, and I got a response that made perfect sense in all of this. It's for the smartphone crowd who look down as much as they do forward. Yeah, that makes sense. But I don't think they're going to see this 
and realize what it's meant to be. This is just a fancy thing that somebody in a boardroom has dreamed up. Look, listen, live.ca. It's nice alliteration, making use of that horrible English language of ours. I think this needs to say, hey. I think this needs to say, danger. I think this needs to say, watch out. Look out. Something like that. Look, listen, live.ca. It's a nice touch, but I don't think it's accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. You need to say, hey. Look out. You could die. Is that too harsh to have written on the sidewalk? I imagine there'd be people who have seven and eight-year-olds who are fluent readers who would be looking down and if it said, hey, look out, you could die with a picture of a train. That would cause problems. People wouldn't like that. That's too harsh. That's too mean. But if we're trying to get the message across, you've got to take your message in 2019 and you have to walk up to the face of the person who you want to receive the message and you have to hold it right in front of their face. And then you have to reach out and push down the arms that are holding their phone to their face already and make sure they read that message. To me, this doesn't do that. Look, listen, live, dot ca. Is that going to make people realize these tracks ahead could have a train coming across them at any time. I'd be interested to know your thoughts. 519-643-2222. Let's open the phones. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. Or because I'm walking more, am I just getting older and thinking about things that aren't necessarily as big a deal as they are to me? This is not enough. You've got to reach out and grab somebody if you want to get a message across. And to me, this does not reach out and grab anyone. Now, to be completely fair and completely transparent about all of this, if you walk a little further, there is another sign. And don't worry, I have a problem with that sign as well. The sign is leaning over at this particular area, but whatever. Uh, It has the worst cartoon ever. And I haven't tweeted this out at Stubbs980 just yet, but I will. The worst cartoon ever. I don't know who's responsible for it. I'm thinking it's the owners of the tracks. But it has a stick figure that if if you know what you're looking at, you will realize, oh, those are two trains, I guess. And there's a red arrow pointing in a direction that one of them is supposed to be going in. And there's kind of the outline of another one. It is really poorly drawn. It's awful. You can't figure out what that thing is. And then it doesn't say danger to trains. It says attention. Two trains. What was this, made in the 50s? Who says attention anymore? The only reason I can think that that would work is because if you're looking for a French translation, attention and attention, they are the same thing. So maybe that helps. You get two languages in one. And it has the number two and then trains. It, it essentially would translate English and French, which sounds like a federal government sign. But whoever made this cartoon missed. You should have submitted that and somebody should have looked at it and said... No, 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 no. It's 2019. Nobody knows what that is. That's horrible. Please go back and make a new one. That's awful. Never try and draw again. In fact, find somebody else to draw. That's terrible. That's the way it looks to me. 519-643-2222. Do we need to reach out and grab somebody a little bit more if we want to make sure and get our points across in 2019? Because look, listen, live is nice alliteration. I don't think it's saving lives. Bob, what do you think? Am I on the wrong side of the tracks here? <laughs> well, Mike, just to start off with, they're called machine heads. 
on the end of the guitar. Machine heads, thank you. So they're they're the things. The frets are where you put your fingers, right? The different the different separations. Right. right. Machine heads. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, a lot of people just uh, call them tuners as well, but machine heads is. Uh, what I have always called them since I started playing the guitar. That would explain Bush, or Bush X as they have to be known in Canada, because they've got a song called Machine Head. And I always thought it was, I don't know, a guy on a motorbike? I, did, I had no idea. I think now I have a whole new appreciation for that. Well, remember the old 70s album, uh, Deep Purple, Machine Head? Yeah. And look at what we're learning today. Okay, enlighten us on how you feel about people and tracks and signs that say, Look, Listen, Live on the Sidewalk. Well, to start, Mike, uh, I question, like, why do we even have to tell people? Um, here's the deal. You have young children, and they're going to be crossing tracks. I lived in the country when I grew up. Lots of tracks. Matter of fact, uh, as kids, we used to go hunting with our pellet guns, and we used to walk down the tracks to access certain areas. And my father, uh, you know, knew we were going to do this, and he sat us down, me and my brother, and said, here's the deal. You walk on those tracks, and you get your foot caught in a track, and there's a train coming. You're going to die, and it ain't going to be pretty. And so when you're out there, use your head. So basically, it's not up to the city to paint things on the sidewalk, but it is up to the parents to sit your kids down and tell them the realities and the dangers of certain things that they're going to encounter in their life. Don't sugarcoat it like you said, well... You know, you said previously in your talk here, well, you know, we, it, it's too mean to say things like that. No, it's not. It's called survival. And when I look at it, if people don't know, like, you know, adult people or teenagers, don't know that it's dangerous to hang around on tracks, I kind of look at that as natural selection. Because if that, at that time in your life you don't get it, then you're going to pay the consequences. Young children, tell them at school. Hey, I hear, you know, you cross the tracks. And when a train hits you, you're going to lose that battle every time. So stay off the tracks. It's self-preservation or anything dangerous. Like, you know, don't sugarcoat this and put these fancy messages like you're talking about that you can't interpret properly that are painted on the sidewalk because it looks cute. Just tell them straight up the way it is. And that way, when your child goes out into the real world, they're going to be, they're going to be able to survive the, the dangers that they encounter throughout a lifetime. But if you sugarcoat them and, and, and whitewash it into this, like, I don't know, like uh, Sesame Street thing, nah, chat, maybe they won't get it. Yeah, that's my concern, because look, yeah. listen, live, or look, listen, live, because of the faults of the English language, it doesn't mean anything to me. And I can't even tell that it's a picture of a train. You know what? Put a sign up there with a body getting hit by a train. <laughs> yeah? And people look up at that and go, oh, yeah, it doesn't look like that. I'm going to stay away. Gross, yeah. Like, just tell the kids dangers. Like, you know, we, we all have children, or most of us are listening. You bring your children up. You know the dangers in life. You sit down and you explain it to them. Like, when they're going to go out and ride their bike by themselves with their friends for the first time, you unleash that freedom to them. You tell them the straight-up facts. There's cars on the road. And, you're, and, and when they hit you, you're going to probably die, or you're going to get maimed pretty severely. So you all look after each other. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ear to the ground, so to speak. Not like the people who have their faces and their iPhones crossing major intersections. Apparently, they don't care about their well-being, and I can't help them out. <laughs> you know, when I see grown, grown adults uh, walking across with their face, you know, in their iPhone across across a, a big red hand that says "Don't walk at that particular time." Yeah, people used to say you're asking for it when stuff like that happened. Bob, thanks so much yeah. for the call.
All right, mate. Have a great day. You too, bud. 519-643-2222. I don't feel this advertising is going to do what it's meant to do, that this sign is going to do what it is meant to do. I think it could have been better. I'm not going to say it's wrong. It's an attempt. It's something. But it could have been better. Look, listen, live. Look, listen, live.ca. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, who made this? Who was sitting there? And actually thought, you know, this is good. And then who looked at it and said, yes, that's fantastic. And who okayed it a third time? Because this is something, no doubt coming from the government, but this is something that, that had to be okayed several times over before it was actually done. Who got through this and said, yeah, this, this is the initiative that makes complete sense? No. You need words like danger. We have signs that say danger. You should be able to say, you could die on a sign. That'll get somebody's attention. This looks like advertising to me. And everybody is, is saying, hey, London is the second city since Vancouver to put this up. That's outstanding. Yeah, you can pat as many people on the back as you want. Is it going to work? In my mind, no. It could have been better. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. I will throw out the other picture on Twitter right now. Radio doesn't have a lot of pictures, but I can give it a picture on Twitter. And I'll put that out. Stubbs980. You can visit that Twitter feed, and you can see the cartoony sign that sits right beside the tracks that says, Attention to Trains. I don't know who made that, but I'm thinking it may have been the same people who put together this latest initiative. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Shane says, I agree. The sign looks like it's advertising a website. The word danger would get more attention. Where's the word danger gone? We don't use that as much as we used to. You know what word we don't use in the English language anymore? Attention. No, you don't. Unless you're, you're doing something in advertising where you are trying to get somebody to pay attention. I guess it's like the old news read. Attention, breaking news. That's what they used to say. Didn't Walter Cronkite say stuff like that? Nobody uses the word attention. You know what word you use? Hey. Or if somebody says danger or look out, you know what you're going to do? You're going to look out. You're going to duck just a little bit. What do you mean look out? What's happening? Who's saying that? We need something like that. Now, as Bob pointed out, sure, you should be able to know better than to not pay attention at the tracks. And that particular rail crossing, when a train is going by, give everybody credit because the arms drop down and it goes ding, ding, ding over and over again. And that dinging doesn't stop until the train is clear. So if you've got arms down, if you've got dinging, if you've got the lame cartoon sign that says attention to trains, and if you've got something yellow on the sidewalk saying look, listen, live.ca, you've got a lot of things. You're trying to, to get people to, to really pay attention to something and you should be able to figure out. I just think it could have been so much better. Look, listen, live.ca. I don't think that's getting it. Tim says, change it to look, listen, and stay alive. I love that. See, something like that. Look, listen, and stay alive. Wait a minute. I want to stay alive. What are, what are they referring to here? Oh, that's not a guitar. That's not a machine head. That's, that's a train. Yes. Oh, tracks. That's what you want. 
Um, Shane says that the word danger should be there, but it must be working because it got you to talk about it on your afternoon show. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, you know what? I guess it it must be doing something, but it got me talking about it simply because I don't think it's enough. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. If you're just joining us, here's just a, a quick synopsis before we move on to other topics. And we've got a lot of interesting things happening. Another chapter in the very tragic story of people dying at the hands of Elizabeth Wetlaufer comes into play tomorrow. And we're going to talk with someone who lost their father. We're going to talk with someone who is dealing with guilt over this. And you would think, how could somebody be dealing with guilt? Well, Andrea Silcox, her father Jim, was the first victim of Elizabeth Wetlaufer. And Andrea lives to this day thinking, I should have done more. I didn't do enough. If only there had been an autopsy for my father, other people's lives could be saved. She has to think that, even though you'll hear her story. You'll hear Andrea talk about that and so many other things in about 10 minutes from now. And Andrea, you'll see, is not somebody to blame in this instance. Not in my opinion. Not even close. But still, she looks at that and says, I, sh- I should have done something more. And that's what she's dealing with. So we'll talk about that. Later on, we are going to talk about somebody who is creating epilepsy kits. She's going to join us in studio, and she's trying to get this out there so that it can help all kinds of people. Plus, Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues, former London Knights captain, will join us. And he'll tell us about his day with the Stanley Cup. What time does the Stanley Cup get to your door? Anyway, but if you want to look it up, go to my Twitter feed at Stubbs980, or you can go and find me on Facebook, and I've got the picture of the sign. It says, look, listen, live. I'm going to stop making fun of it by saying, look, listen, live. That's not the fault of the people who are creating this sign. It's the fault of the English language. There could be other things, but it says, look, listen, live.ca. And it's on the sidewalk, on Colburn, as you're going south toward the tracks. And apparently, I haven't seen it because I haven't been in those spots, but it's in front of a number of other tracks on the sidewalk as well. It should have been better. There should be more than just this. I know that there's a nice little initiative that it's promoting. To me, it looks like advertising. It doesn't look like, look out, hey, stop. There could be a train if you do happen to be on your phone or wearing noise-canceling headphones and looking off into space and, and missing the fact that you're walking right into railroad tracks. There needs to, it needs to be better. It should have been better. If you have any thoughts on it after you've taken a look at it, please shoot me an email, mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at stubs980. One other thing I want to mention very quickly before we go to news with Jacqueline LaBelle. Do you realize what this Sunday would be? This Sunday is an anniversary. August 1st comes up on Thursday. August 2nd is Friday. The 3rd is Saturday. August 4th is Sunday. That's an anniversary. Know what the anniversary is? If you were to go back to... 2015, that was when the writ was dropped on the federal election campaign in 2015. An election campaign that brought a voter turnout of 68%. And when we know that there's a federal election coming this time around, as we do, 
do you not catch yourself thinking, yeah, 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 that's a long way off. You know, it's just the summer. We don't need to be thinking about that. The writ was dropped four years ago Sunday. That's when people were thinking about this. That's when platforms were being put in front of everybody. Now, it took some time for some of those platforms to come out. Some of them really didn't say a lot. Some of them said things that then were never acted upon. But yeah, Sunday's the anniversary. Are we close to that now? No, not even close. And you could look back and say, that election campaign was too long in 2015. Yeah, you're probably right. But it got a lot of people voting. I don't think a lot of people are going to vote this time because they can't figure out who to vote for. Our system is still broken. There was no electoral reform. You can't vote for a prime minister and vote for a local constituent. You can't do that. It's still a mess. In fact, we might be in a bigger mess than we've ever been. At least we're not living below the 49th parallel, I guess. I, had to t- I haven't taken a shot at him in a while. I needed to. Feels good. Let's take a break. News is next. And then we're going to talk about what tomorrow is going to be all about in Woodstock. Or tomorrow, what, what tomorrow is going to be all about based on events in Woodstock. We're going to hear from someone who is living with an immense amount of guilt over what Elizabeth Wetlofer did and what has not been done since. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Tomorrow is a very important day. Tomorrow we are going to know the outcome, we'll know this later on tonight, of the vote over the planning proposal for a new casino in London. But tomorrow is a different kind of day, especially for anyone affected directly by what Elizabeth Wetlofer did. Remember, she pleaded guilty two years ago, 2017, to eight counts of first-degree murder. She pleaded guilty to two counts of aggravated assault, four counts of attempted murder, and... Tomorrow, we are going to have the final report from the Wetlawfer inquiry made public. This is going to happen in Woodstock. It is going to happen around noon. It's actually happening at the Holiday Inn in Woodstock. 980 CFPL reporter Andrew Graham is going to be there, so we will have updates on this beginning at noon. But we have an opportunity right now to talk with someone who is directly affected because... Her father, James Silcox, was the very first victim of Elizabeth Wetlofer at Caressant Care in Woodstock. Happened in August of 2007. And joining us right now is Andrea Silcox. And Andrea, we want to thank you for your time. Let's just start. How are you feeling? Right now, I'm feeling nervous. Very nervous as to what all is going to go down tomorrow. Um, I'm afraid it's going to end up in anger and disgust. And um, I just hope that I'm wrong. I totally hope that I'm wrong. But, yeah, I'm nervous as to what's going to go down tomorrow. Take us through the last little while. How often during a day or at night do you wind up just sitting back and, and this is the only thing on your mind? It's constant. It's, it's, there's no moments, there's no days or any. It's constant. It's the constant uh, guilt. It's the constant uh, anger that um, these facilities are allowed to even exist, that uh, my father was put in such a position after 
being such a, a great Canadian, a great soldier, a great Canadian, great dad and everything else, and that my father, my father's life ended up in a facility that had no desire to respect their residents as they were supposed to be um, taken care of. Um, my father, like my family paid good money to have father there. They trusted the facility. They trusted the government. They trusted the ministry to take care of my father properly. And what did he get? And what did he get for that? He got, he was murdered for crying out loud. And uh, for Crescent Care, not even to step up and say, wow, like we can't believe this has happened, but we've heard nothing from Crescent Care. I have a lawsuit on the go. I've heard nothing from them. They don't want to have any kind of um, restitution on this or um, accountability. They won't hold themselves accountable at all. And so I just hope that with this um, recommendations from Commissioner Galise that the government, the ministry, actually sit up and listen to her and hopefully the recommendations they can do something with them and stand up and say, yes, we, we need to do something, and we're going to do it now, not five years, not two years, not six months from now, now, because the change needs to happen now. When you look at what could make things better, if, if there was an outcome that you would look at and say, okay, that is at least a little bit of justice or at least a little bit of a step in the right direction, what would that be? That would be number one ministry stepping it up and making the, their um, visits so that they, they don't, the facilities don't know that they're coming. They walk right in, nobody knows they're coming, and to actually follow up with the recommendations to the facilities that the ministry representatives have so that if something is not right, they give them days not months, to correct it, and they are fo- it's followed through that these corrections are made immediately. They need to screen their staff to the best of their ability and not just hire them just because they have a, 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 some kind of degree or some kind of certificate behind them that says they've got the job qualifications. They need to make sure that the uh, administration is doing their job by not just sitting in their offices collecting 100000 a year and just spouting off to whoever they want to and just because they don't like them or they feel that um, that person isn't the right person in their eyes, maybe check with the residents, check with the family members, it's just a lot more has to be done with administration. We're talking with Andrea Silcox. Andrea's father, James, was at Crescent Care in Woodstock and was the first victim of Elizabeth Wetlofer. When your dad was there, you would visit your dad. You, you would go and, and see your dad. What mm-hmm. did you see? I mean, you're, you're someone who has experience in long-term care facilities as well. What were you seeing? Was there anything that made you think, wait a minute, yeah. Yes. Well, I do work in long-term care. Um, I do know what quality care looks like. 
when I went into my father's room, remember, my father was only in there for five days, five days. My sister, Diane, went into his room and found my father in bed with a broken hip. She, at that time, put him in the hospital. My father was in the hospital for a week. They never had any trouble with my father. They had his hip fixed. He went back into uh, caressant care. I said to my sister prior to his going back into caressant care, are you seriously going to put him back there? And my sister's words were, and she was the POA, quote, unquote, I'm not sure. I'm not happy with the care. My sister had to put dad back in there. Um, and he was dead less than 36 hours later. And I've seen all my father's medical reports. I have all his medical reports in my home and of what the nurses said and what they did. And all they had to say was, oh, Jim Silcox is aggressive. Jim Silcox won't listen. Jim Silcox is, um, you know, basically a dirty old man. Oh, my God. The man is 83 years old. He's got dementia coming on. He had never been away from his wife for 60 years. Um, suck it up, Buttercup, because that's what happens in long-term care. I don't expect the girls to be groped, but he never touched any of them. But that was just a really good excuse to to uh, cut their um, care time down, that they maybe spent five minutes with him. And that that just infuriates me, because I know when I went in to see my dad, he was not aggressive, he was quiet, he was not happy because he was stuffed in this dirty, dark, tiny little room when my father had never been away from his the family home for years. And here he is stuffed in this dark, dirty, no open curtains, windows. Or I didn't even see, I never did see the windows because those, the curtains were always drawn. Room at the place smelled like urine and feces. It was disgusting. So anyway, I, but I knew because of where I worked that that's the facility he was going into because the rumors and the, uh, because we had girls that worked in both places, the, the feedback that I had gotten from the girls that I knew that worked in both places was not good. And I told my family not to put father in that facility, but of course they didn't listen. Um, and there he was, and there is where he lost his life. And was I surprised that my father lost his life so quickly? No. I sat up in bed, and I said, why? Why is father gone? Oh, well, they said he died of a heart attack. And I said to my sister, Diane, I said, are you going to have an autopsy done? My sister, Diane, said, not quite sure. We're not at that point yet. So fast forward 10 years. I find out she did ask for an autopsy and was told, why would we do an autopsy? He's just a little old man living in long-term care. Wow. If that autopsy had been done like requested, like we have the right to ask for an autopsy, that would have saved the lives of seven other people and everybody else that was attempted murder and assault and everything else. If they had listened to the family who has every right and is paying for their request. 
And you mentioned the word guilt earlier, and I think a lot of people would say, well, no, you, you don't have the, the need to feel guilty, but you've just laid it out. I mean, that's, that's yeah. exactly where that guilt comes from. I, right now, I am on, on stress leave from work because, as they say, I live in long, or I live in long term, I work in long-term care, and I made it through just, a, just about two and a half years, almost three years of working, and finally, one day, I just snapped, and suicide was on my mind. I had police officers at my door, and I'm now on multiple counselors trying to get me over the guilt and the anger of this whole thing. The whole thing, the ministry, the, um, the um, what do you call the people in charge, the administration, the administration that I see going downhill, even in our, my own facility where I work, that nobody cares anymore. The morale is horrendous, and it's, it's just devastated the whole system. This, is, this instance has devastated everyone, and nobody's happy anymore. We're talking with Andrea Silcox, whose father, James, was the first victim of Elizabeth Wetlofer, and we're looking ahead to tomorrow. In closing, I mean, when, when you have a case like this where you mentioned the morale is not there, you would think with all of the attention that has been placed on this that, that we would have people saying, okay, this stops now. We're not yeah. hearing that, are we? No. No, we're not hearing that at all. We're hearing... Because I'm on in the front line, all we're hearing is the administration is clamping down and work harder, work, do better, work smarter, work, work, work. But they're not giving us the staff to do it. And every time something happens or somebody, um, administration, sees that something just isn't right, do they look to find out? how they can make it better, why it happened. No, they clamp down and they suspend this girl and they fire that girl or that guy. They clamp down on the people that are existing there now instead of saying, wait a minute, we got to find out a way to make sure that our staff, there's enough staff to make sure that they're there at the proper times of day because uh, more staff isn't needed. More staff is needed through the day. I do admit that, but in the morning, getting our residents up, and in the late afternoons, in the evenings, we need the, uh, the residents are going down, they're going to bed, and that's when we need the big-time staff is those times of the day because people don't realize, number one, our PSW is given six minutes, six minutes to get your loved one up, awake, out of bed, and up to the washroom, dressed, and into the dining room. Six minutes. Then they have just over an hour to feed 30, 25 to 30 residents. They, um, then at nighttime, now the behaviors are ramping up because we go, they go through something called sundowners. The behaviors are ramping up, and now uh, we need more staff in the evening, but we don't have it. So through the day, if we have two staff on, we're lucky. And if one resident or two residents or three residents want to go to the washroom, but we've got one resident who can't be left alone 
on the toilet, then who else is going to take care? Who else is taking care of those other 25 residents? No one. No one. Maybe one other girl, depending on the time of, of the day. Maybe one other girl or, or guy. I'm sorry, there are male PSWs. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> um, anyway, but yes, there might be one other resident who needs to go to the bathroom as well, but there's nobody there to take care of them. Yeah, it's asking the impossible. It really is. It's asking the impossible. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They are asking for the girls and the guys to do the impossible, to be in multiple places at the same time. They can't do it. But we've got got administration that are there, and they're, you know, doing their thing in the office, and um, I don't know what they do, but anyway... And, uh, yeah, and there's girls running their butts off, working double time, working multiple days in a row, and heaven forbid they call in sick one day. Heaven forbid. You yeah. know, and there's, they've, got, they've got so many girls on, on uh, programs where the further absentees. Well, these girls are breaking down. There's more girls on stress leave right now, and guys on stress leave right now, because they just can't handle it. Andrea, thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully tomorrow there is there is a glimmer. Uh, hopefully there is or at least sometime in the near future. We really appreciate you being with us today. <laughs> thank you. And these facilities that let wet lawfer into their into their midst, into amongst the residents need to be held accountable. They hired this woman they are to be held accountable for her actions. She was employed by them, and they need to be held accountable as well. That's not going to bring our loved ones back, but you know what? At least they will have been held personally accountable for the actions of Elizabeth Wetlaufer. Andrea, thanks again. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Andrea Silcox. Andrea lost her father, James Silcox. He was at Crescent Care. In Woodstock, in August of 2007, he was the first victim of Elizabeth Wetlaufer. Tomorrow, the final report from the inquiry comes out. Again, 980 CFPL reporter Andrew Graham will be there in Woodstock, and the report is expected to be made public right around noon. I want to talk more about this. We'll return in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One of the issues that needs to come out of this final report is something that can be more widespread. It needs to be the focus on administration. Just like we're living in a world with professional politicians, we are living in a world with professional administrators. If you have somebody in a position who has not done the jobs of the people they are overseeing, I don't believe they're as good as they can be. If you get a professional administrator, and I'm not talking about a CEO of a company, that's different. These are administrators, middle management. If they've never done the grunt work, get someone who has and make them that middle management. It makes all the difference in the world. And one of the fingers being pointed by Andrea Silcox was pointed at administration. You wind up not seeing what needs to be done because you don't understand it. That's something that needs to come out of this report. We'll find out tomorrow whether it does.
This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've got some stories to come. Robert Thomas, who won the Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues, is going to join us in about 40 minutes from now. And he'll have some stories about what it's like to spend a day with the Stanley Cup. Because that's what he did yesterday. We are also going to talk about something that has been created by somebody from this area that could change a whole lot of lives. That comes up in less than 10 minutes. News is on the way next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here's a question. How much do you know about epilepsy? If you are someone who has someone in your life who has epilepsy, you probably know a lot. But what if you don't? What if, what if you really don't know anything? First of all, that's okay, because we're going to change that in the next 10, 12 minutes. Is that all right? We're going to change that completely. We're going to learn an awful lot, because we're going to talk about an initiative that was born out of a contest that now, who knows, could make a big difference anywhere on this planet for anybody who has epilepsy. Joining us right now is Dylan DiGirolamo and Nurse Nick, as a matter of fact. We're not going to talk with Nurse Nick too much because Nurse Nick is actually a stuffed bear. But Nurse Nick is very official looking. And I, I would actually trust Nurse Nick to perform, you know, if, if I was giving blood again. Yeah, I think Nurse Nick could pull that off. But Dylan, you have been able to do something far more important. Sitting in front of Dylan right now is an epilepsy kit. This is something that you were able to create. It's an epilepsy toolkit. And Dylan's been nice enough to open the kit uh, Dylan, first off, before we even get to the epilepsy toolkit, we need to learn more about epilepsy. How often do you find you have to do explaining about what epilepsy has on uh, the effect it has on your life when you meet people? Well, uh, every job I have, I do tell them about it. Um, and in the past, I have tried not telling some jobs to see the difference. And I have found that most jobs are very scared the moment I tell them I have epilepsy because they immediately picture someone falling to the ground and having a tonic-clonic seizure, which is the one where you're shaking on the ground. Little do they know there are more types of seizures than just the tonic-clonic one. And the ones I have are partial complex. So I will not fall to the ground and shake, but rather I will simply not know where I am. I repeat the same words almost every time. Where am I? What time is it? Lately, it's been, oh, man, as I smack my lips, and I'm just, I'm not there. And this this will change? Like this, you might not say, oh, man, in three years from now. You might not have said it three years earlier. Things like that will change. Every single time I have a seizure, it's totally different. And how often would these seizures come on? Unfortunately, with my seizures, it's very, very random. So as I was telling Chris on CBC, my last seizure I had was last week. And before that, I went seizure-free for two weeks. But the week before that, I had a day where I had five seizures, and I could not even get out of bed. And you won't wake up in the morning, get out of bed, and think, you know what? There's a chance that I may have a seizure today. Uh, the weird thing is sometimes I actually do wake up and think, oh, man, I just don't feel right today. Hmm. Now, with telling someone who is a potential employer or who is your employer about 
the fact that you have epilepsy, it, it should be something that is that's easy to disclose. It should be something that they just say, thank you for telling us. What sorts of things tend to happen? Uh, there was an instance last summer where I got a new job. And unfortunately, it, it didn't go over well. I told them I had it. And they just told me that they need a doctor's note and that they would feel more comfortable if I did have a doctor's note. And, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't end up getting the doctor's note and going back. Hmm. So it does affect you in that way, that 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 right there has taken a job that maybe you would have pursued and you did not pursue it. Correct. I just did not feel comfortable. Dylan DiGirolamo joining us. Dylan has created the Epilepsy Toolkit. And again, we're going to get to that, but I want to learn more about epilepsy. I think we all need to take this opportunity to do just that because, like you say, how many people knew that there were different types of seizures? Let's talk about when you were first diagnosed. How old were you? I actually was misdiagnosed approximately 10 years ago with dissociative amnesia, which is more of a psychological Opponent. Okay, so then we're not talking about that that long ago. You would have been in your teens. I was in my teens. I actually just got diagnosed last March for the first time. Really? And what led to that? Uh, I had a, a pretty bad seizure on Wellington and Baseline where I set my backpack at the bus stop and decided to go sit in the middle of the road. Wow. And when I came to it, I was in the back of a police car. Really? So you went from, hey, everything's going okay, I've got my backpack, just going to put this down here, to next thing you know, you're in the back of a police car and people are telling you you were sitting in the middle of Wellington Road. And the most ironic thing, I had just left my doctor. That's incredible. Now, have, has that happened often in life where things like that will, will take place and, and you'll be somewhere and someone will say, hey, here's what just happened? Yeah, there's been another uh, two incidents where I left my aunt's house, for instance, and when I came to, I was at Argyle Mall. I had just hopped on the next bus that came after having a seizure, and I don't remember getting to Argyle Mall because that is not where I was going. So how do you prepare yourself for things like that? Unfortunately, there is really no way. Like I said, there's some mornings where I wake up and think, oh man, I just don't feel right today. Maybe I should just keep it slow. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have put together the Epilepsy Toolkit, and this is something that is designed to do what? It's designed to teach workplaces and, I hope, schools uh, epilepsy first aid so they do know what to do when someone is going to have a seizure. So if we want to picture this, right now we're talking with Dylan DiGirolamo. We have in front of us a box that looks like a toolkit from the outside. It, it actually says epilepsy toolkit on the outside. That's how I knew. And you open up the box. There are three things inside. First off, there is a really well put together pamphlet that says epilepsy in a nutshell. Can you give us an idea of what sorts of information you've put on the pamphlet that you want people to read? So inside the pamphlet on the first page and the last page, you're going to find the common types of seizures, which, as I mentioned, you're going to have a generalized seizure, which is the tonic-clonic seizure, which is the one that everyone pictures where you're on the ground shaking. And on the third page, you're going to find partial seizures, which affect one part of your brain. And again, the seizure that I have is called a complex partial seizure. And mine are occurred in the temporal lobe, which is the sides of your head above the ears. And in the center of the pamphlet, which I believe is the most important, is seizure first aid, which is going to tell you three steps. So remain calm, time it, and protect from injury. 
On the back of the pamphlet, you're going to find helpful websites such as Epilepsy Southwestern Ontario, Epilepsy Canada, and the Epilepsy Foundation. Fantastic. So let's go through that that middle section then, what people need to know about. Remain calm, time it, and protect from injury. Take us through those steps. Remaining calm is is kind of clear. You, you need people to make sure that, that they're remaining calm around because immediately you want to rush and you want to help somebody. If somebody's having a seizure, it would be, oh, wait, wait a minute, I've, I've got I've to stop you from seizing. I've, I've got I've to put you in a hug or do something like that. Don't do that. No, actually, what you just want to do is you want to let them have their seizure. And the second step is time it. Because anything more than five minutes is a neurological emergency. And most people think, like you said, just hug them. But that's not what you want to do. All you have to do is time it. And you mentioned right here that the seizure will end naturally, usually within a few minutes. Correct. So time it. Make sure you know how much time that is. And protect someone from injury. Sounds pretty simple, but if you're in a situation where you're watching someone who's having an epileptic seizure, you may not know what to do. You may freeze. What sorts of things can be a problem when it comes to potential injury? Well, you just want to move anything sharp out of their way. If they're at a workplace, just try to let them have it on a floor. Just move everything out of their way. We are talking with Dylan DiGirolamo, and Dylan has put together... An epilepsy toolkit. We'll talk about the other two items in that toolkit when we return on London Live as we learn more about epilepsy. Because, let's face it, unless you know someone who has epilepsy, chances are you don't know a lot about it. And Dylan is doing quite the work in order to change that right now. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you're just joining us on London Live, we're taking some time to learn about epilepsy, and we're doing it courtesy of Dylan DiGirolamo. Dylan has epilepsy. Dylan was not diagnosed with epilepsy until last March, and Dylan is not four years old. This is not something that was caught young in Dylan's life, and normally you would think that. Well, if you have epilepsy, you find out by the time you're five, by the time you're six years old. Didn't happen that way. In fact, you went through your entire university education having certain things happen that couldn't be explained, but ultimately it was epilepsy. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. You know, I I was honest. I did tell my teachers, but I did have to say, uh, hey, just so you know, I might blank out in class. Don't be scared. Uh, I'll tell my friend and he'll just take me out of class and then I'll come back in and I'll be totally fine. So you've created the Epilepsy Toolkit. We've talked about the pamphlet that you find inside, which has very helpful information for anyone not knowing what to do. Should someone have an epileptic seizure, whatever type it is, it also outlines that there are different types of epileptic seizures. The pamphlet is not the only thing inside the toolkit. What else is in there? Inside, you'll also find a timer, which, as we previously mentioned, you want to be able to time a seizure because anything longer than five minutes is a neurological emergency. And thirdly, the most important thing is a device similar to an AED defibrillator that speaks first aid instructions to you. Okay, so similar to an AED defibrillator. I'm I'm looking at something that is smaller than an egg. It's kind of a flat egg shape. It's white on one side. It's blue on the other what happens when you push that, Dylan? Let's find out. Do your first aid. The most important thing is to remain calm. Check for medic alert bracelet. If the individual is on the ground shaking, remove any sharp objects out of the way. 
Try to roll them over, putting something soft under their head. If the seizure is more than five minutes, call 911. Fantastic. So you've got dynamite instructions. Basically, the instructions that are on the middle of the pamphlet are right there. And where would that be designed to go? That's in there. Anybody can push it. So the use for that, what would that be? That would be, I think, most importantly for workplaces and schools where a teacher can simply have it by their desks. And then if you need to know what those instructions are, you give it a push. Next thing you know, you've got the instructions. And we mentioned off the start, if you weren't with us on London Live, Dylan has also brought in Nurse Nick. Nurse Nick is a teddy bear wearing complete hospital garb. And inside Nurse Nick, what do we find? Inside Nurse Nick, you find another voice recorder that would be especially helpful for students who might be feeling scared when they see a seizure or even if they've had one. Now, you're someone who hasn't known that you've even had epilepsy for longer than a year and a little bit. How did the epilepsy toolkit come to be? Well, I got an email through Western University about this competition called the IDEA Competition, and it simply challenged you to create something that would aid a disability. And right away, I knew that I wanted to make something. And for a few weeks, I couldn't figure it out. And then one day, all of a sudden, I I can't even tell you how, it just hit me right in the head. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. And you created the Epilepsy Toolkit. I did. And what is the next step now with the toolkit? The next step, I really want to bring this into school boards and pediatric neurology units inside hospitals. And that's going to require me getting it patented, which I'm currently in the process of doing, and going to lawyers and school boards. Having this out there, what kind of reaction have you had from people who have seen it? I've had amazing reactions. I've had people messaging me on Facebook from the States, from Canada, asking, can I please have one for my child? Because, again, you're dealing with something that may come on, may not come on. You, you're dealing with something that someone may know something about, may not know something about. Being someone with epilepsy, how, how do you deal with that uncertainty? It's, you know, I, I've accepted it now that I have epilepsy, and now my goal is just to spread awareness about it. Now, when you look at, at being able to connect with people in different countries, in different parts of, of this country, what's that been like? It's been interesting. You know, I've spent a lot of time over the past two days looking everywhere, all over the internet, on LinkedIn, Facebook. Who can I go to? And just looking to advance this even further. Yes, I want to make it more cost effective and I might want to change the the outside of it. But at the same time, you still have something that was part of a contest. You did very well in the contest. You got the recognition necessary in the contest, and now it's a part of just getting this out there. Information. We live in the information age. Can you believe how little people know about certain things, epilepsy being one of them? I'm shocked. Like I said, telling my workplaces was, was shocking. Their reactions, some of them were amazing, and some were unfortunately very stressful. And that's something you can probably change over time. And let's hope that this is one of those steps to doing that. Dylan, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Good luck with everything. I want to make mention of one thing. In fact, you can take a look for it right now if you would like to help out. Because as Dylan says, this is something that's kind of in its infancy. There is a GoFundMe. And you can find that at GoFundMe.com. Just search Epilepsy Toolkit. And you'll see Dylan's smiling face. You'll see... 
Nurse Nick, and you will see a picture of the toolkit as well. Dylan, we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Mike. Dylan DiGirolamo joining us. We will take a very quick break and return to let you know what is still ahead on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, we are going to speak with a Stanley Cup champion. He still finds it weird to hear somebody say his name and Stanley Cup champion all in the same sentence. But Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues is going to join us. He had the Stanley Cup yesterday in Aurora. So here are the things we've got to find out. We've got to find out what happens when it's your day with the Stanley Cup. Because you, you get a day, well, what does that mean? Does the cup kind of roll up at 6 o'clock in the morning? Do you have to get up early? What, are you allowed to stay up late? What do you do with it? What can and can't you do with it? What did Robert Thomas himself do with it? We will find that out in just a little bit. So that comes up in about... Let's say 10, 15 minutes from now, Robbie will join us on London Live. There is a new serial out, and you know what it's going to do? It's, I'm not even going to play the, the tune. I promise I will not even play the tune because I do not want to. I don't want it in my head, but even in just reading this story, you're going to hate me because you're going to get it stuck in your head. They're putting out Baby Shark Cereal. You know that song. You can picture it, the Baby Shark song. Um, it's going to be sold in the United States, so you may have to take a trip across the border, and it's only going to be sold for a very short period of time. Berry-flavored loop and marshmallow cereal. If it does well enough, you know that they'll bring it back. But just be aware that Baby Shark, a song, is being turned into, yes, a cereal, as a matter of fact. So that's coming in, in the next little while. And here's something else we've got to investigate. Somebody emailed... Uh, Not too long ago. Let me grab this. Uh, This is an email that comes from Dana. And Dana says, I stopped into a rest stop on the 401 and got a coffee. And it wasn't until I was leaving that I realized I had paid more for that coffee than I normally do at a Tim Hortons location. Any idea why they charge more at an en route rest stop than they do in regular locations? I don't know if we have that answer necessarily, but we can certainly look for it. Uh, Anybody know why they would, other than they can? I didn't think Tim Hortons was allowed to charge different prices. I didn't think any, are you allowed to, if you're a franchisee, can you help us out? Can you charge whatever you want for coffee? I don't think so. Because you're at an en route? Is there an en route tax? Doesn't say from Dana how much more it was. But the idea was it was more. Uh, also have a couple of emails to get to, and we'll do that in a minute on long-term care. So that is on the way as well. Robert Thomas emails on long-term care because tomorrow, remember, we will have 980 CFPL reporter Andrew Graham in Woodstock at the Holiday Inn when the final report from the Wetlawfer inquiry comes out. And we'll have updates starting at around noon as to what has taken place in that final report. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In just about five minutes, we will be in conversation with Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues, formerly Robert Thomas of the London Knights. 
won a Memorial Cup with the Knights, then was moved to Hamilton and was the guy who scored the OHL championship winning goal for the Hamilton Bulldogs. Robert Thomas, you have to understand, when he was even playing minor midget, was one of those guys that caught the eye of Dale Hunter. And Dale and Mark Hunter, as anybody who follows the London Knights knows, they've got a really good eye for talent. And there are little things that they'll pick up on that if you tried to describe what they were, it would be really difficult to do it. They just they have this sense. Maybe the best example, I can give you a million examples, but one of my favorite examples comes from Mark Hunter. And it goes back to the 2012 OHL Championship Series. Just little things that they notice. The London Knights in that series were playing the Niagara Ice Dogs, and the Ice Dogs were filled to the brim with NHL draft picks. They had 12 guys. They had amazing players. Dougie Hamilton was one of them. He's gone on to a a great NHL career, still playing in the National Hockey League right now with the Carolina Hurricanes. So you have Dougie Hamilton, who scores the double overtime game-winning goal in Game 1 of that OHL Championship Series. This older, veteran Niagara Ice Dogs team against a pretty young London Knights team. And the next day in the video session, Mark Hunter says, I want you guys to look at something. And he showed them a little piece of video of Dougie Hamilton skating with the puck. That was it. And he said, Dougie Hamilton is a really good player. And he's so good that that he's the guy who likes to make plays. So he's not going to pass the puck across to his defense partner and then wait for a return pass. When he gets the puck, he wants to go, he wants to make a play, he wants to win the game. And that's, that's how he does it. He says, when Dougie Hamilton gets the puck, here's what I want you to do. I want you to skate right toward him. And that was it, in a nutshell. I'm, I'm kind of laying it out. You know, It was a little longer session than this. But I want you to skate right toward him. And the Knights had Matt and Ryan Rupert, and that's exactly what they did. Dougie Hamilton would see this happening, wasn't ready for it, couldn't make the plays that he wanted to, and the way that Niagara's offense worked got completely disrupted. And the Knights ended up winning the OHL championship that year. And I think a lot of it goes to what was happening right there with Dougie Hamilton. So Mark and Dale Hunter can pick out little things like that. You know, How many people are going to be able to watch and say, you know, this is how we disrupt the flow of the Niagara Ice Dogs. Well, Dale Hunter picked up on just little things that Robert Thomas would do. The idea that every time he was on the ice, something happened. Whether it was a scoring chance or whether he was doing something. Robert Thomas is the kind of guy that when a game is going on, Somebody, especially in in lower levels, is going to make a mistake. They're going to go in the wrong direction. They are going to do something that they're not supposed to do. It just happens. They're young. They're learning. And he's the kind of guy that can recognize on the ice that's happening and kind of fill the hole of whoever has left his position. That's what he does. And it was no surprise to anybody who watches him very closely that he played in the National Hockey League at 19 years of age and did things that helped his team, the St. Louis Blues, to win. Now, it took a little while. The Blues were in last place on January 2nd. They were the worst team in the National Hockey League. They rose up from there, they made the playoffs, and they went through the playoffs and ultimately won the Stanley Cup. They've been celebrating it for a long, long time, 
Robert Thomas is going to join us because yesterday he had the Stanley Cup for a day. It's a tradition. If you don't know hockey that well, every player and kind of person on the team or part of the team, everybody who's involved with a team that wins the Stanley Cup gets a day with the Cup. And so yesterday was Robert Thomas' day. We'll find out what he did on that day. We'll find out how that day even unfolds. How does the Stanley Cup get to your house? What time does it get there in the morning? We'll talk a little bit about what last season was like for him. He's won a Memorial Cup. He's won an OHL championship. He's won, you name the prize, the trophy, even at lower levels. He's done it. And he'll have a shot at doing what Corey Perry did one day, perhaps, maybe with the exception of World Junior Gold. He didn't have World Junior Gold to add to it, but he was able to do some pretty amazing things as a junior player. That's continuing on now as his pro career unfolds. Robert Thomas is next on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Winning the Stanley Cup doesn't happen very often. When you're 19 years old, it really doesn't happen very often. Robert Thomas, who was a Knights captain and won a Memorial Cup with the Knights and an OHL championship with the Hamilton Bulldogs, won the Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues this past year. And when you do that, talk to anybody, life is an absolute blur after winning the Stanley Cup. Robert Thomas joins us now. Robbie, is life still a blur for you? Yeah, yeah, it's still going, still, still pretty much a blur. I mean, um... Yeah, anytime you know someone ever you know comes up and congratulates me or I hear you know Stanley Cup champion beside my name, it really still gives me the chills. So, uh, yeah, everything's still a blur, and I'm, I'm just enjoying it. How many times yesterday did you hear that your name and Stanley Cup champion? <laughs> I heard it a ton. That's for <laughs> sure. It's definitely been thrown out there a lot. So, uh, yeah, it was a it was a really special day for me and my family. Well, that's amazing. Very few people get a chance to spend a day with the Stanley Cup. What is the what are the hours of the Stanley Cup? What time does that get up in the morning? When when does it arrive at your doorstep? <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, those Cup guys travel a lot. You got to give them a lot of credit. They're uh, they're pretty much on time. Um, I got it actually early yesterday, so I had it at nine thirty till midnight, and then uh, I was off to Quebec. And Karan's got it in uh, in Quebec today at ten a.m. The same thing, so. Uh, yeah, those guys have a those guys have a tough schedule, but uh, yeah, that's kind of you get you get your time from 10 a.m. till uh, midnight. Okay, but you're waiting for what? Basically, a doorbell to ring and knock on the door, and then the Stanley Cup will be there. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, they knock on your door and bring you out to the van and grab it right out of the case and cheers for the day. And what did you do with it first? First was uh, just all family. Uh, so I had a bunch of my family at my house, so. Before we uh, took off to go to St. Andrews and then uh, with the town of Aurora, um, you know, we were able to get some family photos and kind of had like an hour carved out for that. So it was really good. And then to, to sit around, like how surreal is it to be sitting around with your family? You've won a lot of things. You've spent your day with the Memorial Cup. You've spent your day with the J. Ross Robertson Cup. You have won other cups and trophies and tournaments. It seems you're really, really good at doing that. What is it like to be in a living room or a family room or a backyard or wherever you happen to take the pictures, surrounded by your family and the Stanley Cup? Oh, it's uh, it's hard to put into words. Uh, I mean, you know, yesterday I had my brother and my dad, and we're just hanging out in my room, and um, yeah, we're just 
sitting here in bed with the Stanley Cup. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just, you know, it really, really puts it in perspective when you have, you know, family friends who, uh, you know, parents and grandparents have been involved in the, you know, hockey community for so long. And you see them come over, give you a hug, and they're all crying when they see the Stanley Cup. It's just, it just really means that much to, you know, you and your family. Stanley Cup champion Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues joining us. So you were able to go to St. Andrews because you'd spent some time there as you came up mm-hmm. as a player. You went to a park in Aurora yesterday. Anything else that, that you did with the Stanley Cup to, to show it what Aurora and, and what your life is all about? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I took it to Dairy Queen there. Um, you know, for anyone who knows me pretty well, they know I'm a big ice cream guy, so... Uh, I took it there. Um, they filled it up with a big Oreo blizzard for me, and uh, you know I was able to get you know me and my family were able to eat 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 the blizzard out of the cup, so that was pretty cool. And then uh, you know a couple people ended up showing up once the word got out, and I was able to serve them you know a scoop of it out of the cup. So uh, that that was pretty neat. Um, and then yeah, just back back in my place, I had you know all my fa- family friends, uh, you know cousins had like a big backyard party. Uh, so yeah, everything everything went really well. Let's go back in time a bit. Let's go back to even the start of this year when you hit training camp. Did you expect you know what I've I've got a legitimate chance to make the St. Louis Blues or or was it a little more in doubt than that? Um, you know what I uh, I had a good idea that you know if I went in and played uh, you know the way I could and that I'd have a pretty good chance of starting up and. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I came out strong and you know made my spot on the roster, and then uh, you know obviously the start of the start of the the season for our whole team and in general wasn't what we wanted to uh, you know to come out starting, especially with you know all the talent we had on our team. So I think for me it was kind of you know the way our story went in the season. That was kind of how my season went, where you know uh, it was a tough start, and then uh, as the year went on, everything kind of got better and better. And, um, but yeah, that's kind of been my, my kind of mentality going in was, you know, if I came in and played the way I know I can, then uh, I had a good chance of making it. And you not only made it, you, you made it all the way to the finals and you are now a Stanley cup champion, Robert Thomas of the St. Louis cool. blues joining us. Robbie, let's go back. There's one date right here that I'm going to bring up, and that date is January the 2nd of 2019. I've got the NHL standings in front of me and the St. Louis blues are in last place in the overall standings and mm-hmm. no one would have no one would have thought anything if if the blues had missed the playoffs or or maybe things go really well you make the playoffs you you maybe get into the first round wow what a comeback that was do you guys talk much about what you actually pulled off that's that's a feat unlike what anybody's ever done honestly you know for us in the room i don't think it's even sunk in for anyone there uh yet um i mean the whole first half of the year was you know obviously we got where we were in the standings but we never lost our hope in the room uh you could ask any guy uh at that point in the season we knew that we were going to turn it around we knew we just had to get into the playoffs and we could really make something special happen and you know we we exceeded our own expectations uh you know finishing third in the division so or second i don't even second or third doesn't matter but um, but yeah, I think uh, for us, we just knew we had to get in the playoffs, and you know we went on that that huge win streak, and 
um, you know, that just kind of propelled, uh, propelled their season. Well, that got you into the playoffs. In the playoffs, guys will play hurt, but eventually you had a pretty significant injury. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys battling through stuff on our team. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the way it is. You know, you look at all the injuries Boston fought through, and, you know, there's a, there's a ton. I'm not going to list them all off for you. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what it takes to win is uh, it's just such – the season is so long and drooling on your body, and then you know you go an extra couple months. Uh, you know, to get that far in the playoffs, it's just you know things are going to happen. So uh, I mean, that's that's what makes this trophy so hard to, to win is you know how how drooling it is on your body, how wearing it is, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy looking back on it. Let's talk about actually winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, this was done in pretty dramatic fashion. This was all the way to Game 7. That game, was there something that, that happened in that game early that told you guys, yeah, you know what, we, we, we can do this? Or even though you had a comfortable lead, were you still looking up with two minutes left in the third period and thinking, ah, there's still two minutes left in the third period? Oh, um, I mean, going into the game, you know, anytime our back our backs had been on the wall the entire season, we always found a way to get it done. So we were pretty confident going in. And then, you know, that first period, the way Bennington played, uh, I mean, you know, I thought they took it to us a bit in the first. And, you know, he made some big, big saves to keep the game, at, you know, real close. And, uh, and then we just started to take over early in the second and then kind of just went on from there. But uh, like you said, yeah. Like even even when we had that big lead at the end, we we didn't feel that comfortable. Uh, we were still nervous, and you know, until the last twenty seconds, uh, that was when we really knew we had it. To see the Stanley Cup being brought out onto the ice, to know that you've won it, take us back to that moment. What is that like? Oh, it's it's speechless. I mean, the amount of the amount of fans from St. Louis that you know, because all the Boston fans they left right away, so. All the St. Louis fans came down to, you know, the first five rows around the glass and, you know, just to see the support there. And then um, for me, it was just looking at some of the older guys. You look at Bo Meester, Steen, Bozak, you know, how many years they've played and, you know, they finally get a chance to hoist it. And, you know, I'm sitting here lucky in my first year to get that opportunity. So I think for me, it was just, you know, celebrating with them. And, you know, they've, they've had such great careers and, you know, this is the one thing that they're missing. So I think that's what that's what it all comes down to. Well, they're not missing it anymore. Congratulations. Yeah. I don't know if you'll ever eat an Oreo cookie blizzard that tastes quite the same again. <laughs> but uh, good luck going into next season. Robbie, thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks, Tubbsy. Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues. Get Dairy Queen to fill the Stanley Cup with Oreo cookie blizzard. That's one of those things that a lot of players will do. Not the blizzard part, but they'll always put something in it to eat out of it. Cereal. I don't know if anybody's done chicken soup. That's a that's a little too greasy. But Robert Thomas, at 19 years old, wins the Stanley Cup. Got an email from Rose. Rose says, God, Mike, he is so humble. Great to hear the interview now if he could only come back to the London Knights. He'd be a double overager. Well, he'd be, no, he'd be just an over. That's how young he is. He'd just be an overager next year. It's not going to happen. He's too valuable to the St. Louis Blues right now. But, Rose, you're absolutely right. How humble. Hockey players never get changed by fame. It's true. 
Some of them will have just that cocky edge to them. They don't change. You know, the money aspect of it, you can't help but have that alter your life. You have a lifestyle that you can live if, if you want to go in on a private plane with somebody and kind of rent that for a little while. You have the bucks to do it. You can live in a bigger home. But ultimately, and I, I don't have enough experience with baseball players or football players, or but hockey players, they don't change. They're still the down-to-earth guys, no matter what. And it's I don't know whether it's the culture that they're brought up, and I have no idea what it is. But they just stay the same. They do stay just that humble. Okay, a couple things that we need to deal with before we go. Uh, we were talking about long-term care. Again, we are going to have updates from 980 CFPL reporter Andrew Graham starting tomorrow right around noon when the final report from the Wetlawfer inquiry is made public. It's happening in Woodstock at the Holiday Inn. Andrew is going to be there on site, so you will have up-to-the-minute information on our Twitter feed and on new news and, and those sorts of things. So. And the afternoon uh, after the Blue Jays game tomorrow, all of those sorts of things. But Andrew Graham is going to be there tomorrow providing updates. We had a couple of emails that came in on the long-term care issues. Rob says, Mike, I'd like to know what role the nurses' union had in protecting Elizabeth Wetlaufer. My experience with unions is they protect first and ask questions later. I don't know whether that's something that would come out in the inquiry. And I was talking about administration. I don't like professional politicians, and we have too many of them. We have professional politicians. What else have you done? Well, I'm a politician. Okay. And this isn't everybody. But when you enter the world of politics, sometimes you can remain there. And I think that's unhealthy. It really is. Because you get caught up in the way the system works, the way the game works, and you forget how the world works. So I also feel that way about administration. I like administrators who have been there and done that and are now helping other people to do those things that they used to do. I love bosses like that. I love my bosses now because they're in that position. They've done what I do. They understand. And I think we have too many people who go in and, and now can come out of programs and be professional administrators. Got an email from Donna Jean. Donna Jean says, unfortunately, holding administration responsible is not going to work until we hold the people responsible who actually own these homes, be it private or public. The onus will remain on profits, or in the case of public homes, budget cuts. Administration is being told they need to cut costs, become leaner, and if you won't do it, they'll hire someone who will follow their wishes. There needs to be a strict law that indicates you need X number of trained staff on duty, RNs, RPNs, PSWs, etc., at all times, and as your guest stressed, with inspections any time, day or night. But the government is going to need to pony up more money for more inspections. I guess we as a people need to decide how important our senior citizens are to us and our country and start spending accordingly. But then you need to decide where you cut elsewhere. Not an easy fix. Well said. That's, that's well said. Because we, we need more. We need more RNs. We need more RPNs. We need more PSWs. Absolutely. Look at one of the things, if you missed it, you can go back in on the podcast later today and you can hear it. But we were talking with Andrea Silcox, whose father James was the first victim 
of Elizabeth Wetlaufer, and she's worked in long-term care. And one of the things she pointed out was you have six minutes to get somebody out of bed and get them into the dining area for a meal. That's it. I can't get myself out of bed and dressed in six minutes. Seriously. And that's what they're being asked to do because there are so few people. And the private homes, yeah, it does come down to profit. And the public homes, yeah, it does come down to where this fits in the grand budget. All right, one last note, and it comes from Ed. Ed pointed out gas stations charge more at on routes because they can. The only way to stop inattentive people from walking in trains, he says, is to install small labyrinths in front of the tracks. I love it. Or a 5G kind of alarm when they walk into that area. We've got news on the way next with Jacqueline LaBelle. Thanks for joining us today. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.